0: to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. I'm here, guys. And special guest today, Dane Brugler, a draft analyst for The Athletic. Uh, I'm reading his Twitter bio right here. It says he's a husband, a father, and an amateur barbecue pitmaster. Dane, how's the barbecue going?
1: Uh, You know, uh, I'm Ohio, born and bred, and, you know, spent 10 years in Texas where, you know, I was able to, uh, you know, learn that, barbecue is more than just hot dogs and hamburgers and uh <laughs> i so now i'm bringing those uh, you know and I, I spent a lot of you know it became a real big hobby of mine uh and now i'm bringing them back to ohio as we as we move back to northeast ohio back to home and uh you know it's i did a little bit last night and so you know for my folks and you know it's uh it's a lot of fun it's it's kind of my escape uh away from you know football from you know the kids things like that it's kind of my my happy place
2: that's awesome. Welcome back to the homeland. That's awesome that you're back in Northeast Ohio. What part of town are you in? Are you in Cleveland proper? or Are you uh, elsewhere?
1: We're about forty five minutes out, um, Warren, Ohio area. Um, yeah. it's uh, it's great. We just we just actually bought a uh, just over an acre of God's country and uh, gonna build a house on there. And uh, it's uh, we're, I'm really excited to put down roots uh, where. Uh, where I grew up and, you know, happy that my kids are going to grow up here and, uh, you know, be close to the grandparents. It was strictly a family move, uh, to get back here and, uh, you know, kind of raise my family the same way I was raised. And so really excited about that.
2: That is awesome. Well, thanks for jumping on with us. Uh, we've, uh, for those listeners that may be new, we've had Dane on our podcast a few times each year. Um, and in years past the bye week has been the right time to start talking NFL draft because it's about the only, uh, positive thing browns fans have had to look (laughs) forward to in the last few years hopefully we have a little more um optimism for the second half of this season but for those that don't know uh, dane is a huge browns fan just like we are and has (laughs) i know that you've been following the team um so let's talk a little browns and then we'll transition to looking ahead to the 2020 draft if that's okay um Uh, that works so give us your unfiltered opinion on the Cleveland Browns through six games sitting at two and four, probably a little disappointing from most people's standpoint, but, um, would love to know, know your thoughts. Uh,
1: Yeah. I think the, the common theme week to week is just an inconsistency. Um, and it starts at the top of the coaching, um, and we see it at different uh, different levels, both the offense, the defense, um, and, and even on special teams at times. So it's just something that, you know, you don't want to be too trigger happy and say, well, you know, Freddie Kitchens was not ready to be a head coach and they should move on. And, you know, you want to give this team uh, time to gel. You want to give them time to get things figured out. Uh, but when is that time when you're like, OK, enough's enough. Like, you know, it's, it's time to... Uh, look like a cohesive unit uh, and you know be productive. Uh, stop making these mistakes that are mostly discipline related, mental uh, mental related, and it's something that they need to get figured out if they want to compete for the division. and you know what we saw in Baltimore uh, when they got that impressive win over the Ravens, Fantastic. why aren't we seeing, yeah, why aren't we seeing that more? why aren't we seeing you know, Uh, they could have easily beat the Seahawks uh, last week. Uh, And it's just mistake after mistake after mistake that just shouldn't happen. And so I think it's, and it's, I don't think there is, I mean, it's easy to blame the coaching because again, you're talking about a first year head coach, a guy who is calling the plays, but now adding all these other responsibilities onto his plate. So I think Freddie kitchens right now is an easy target I totally get it, but Baker Mayfield needs to play better. Uh, No question about it. Uh, The offensive line needs to play better. Uh, Is is there a a quick fix answer to this offensive line, whether it's a trade or, uh, you know, maybe it's as simple as getting some guys back healthy. I don't know. We'll have to see. We know they had the talent at running back, at wide receiver, but the offensive line, the protection, and then the play of Baker Mayfield just needs to be better in terms of uh, not escaping those clean pockets and being more accurate, being just a little more quick with, uh, his decision-making out there. Uh, so, you know, there, we could talk for a long time <laughs> about the first six games and, you know, there are just so many different layers to pull back on, but, you know, hopefully, like I said, the, the theme of the first six games, inconsistency, hopefully that's something they can get figured out, uh, in, in the final stretch, the final, uh, 10 games of the year.
2: So, Quick, and to not dive into too much detail, as you mentioned, because we could go on forever, but do you think that that's kind of improved gradually over the course of the six games, or do you kind of feel like we're in the same spot as we were in week one? Um, Because my personal opinion, I think, is is that we've taken steps in the right direction, and some things have definitely not broken our way, but you mentioned that Ravens game, or the game against the Seahawks, and we should have won that game if we hadn't made some boneheaded mistakes. We had those turnovers, but... A couple of those don't happen, or a couple of those don't really break in the Seahawks' direction, like the bounces of the ball, and it's a different story. We might win that game. What basically happened when the Ravens played the Seahawks is that those things bounced in the Ravens' direction. I mean, it was a turnover story mm-hmm. if you look at the two of them. It looks like the Ravens you know, took care of business and just dominated the Seahawks by the final score, but that game was really close until late in the third quarter when a few turnovers went the Ravens' way. the narrative on these things changes so quickly based on, you know, the box score and the final outcome. I think sometimes, what is your assessment? Have, do you see improvement or do you think there's still a whole long way to go?
1: And I think that's fair. Um, I, you know, it's also fair to mention the officiating in that Seahawks game. Um, it was, (laughs) uh, there were some calls that just made you, okay, what's going on here? Like there's something up, like it just, and I mean, Baker got fined for what he said, but, you know, he was doing what, uh, you know, and he knew he was going to get fined, but he felt like he had to say something because it was that bad. Uh, but, you know, you don't want to, you don't want it to come down to the ball bouncing the wrong way or putting it in the official's hands. Like, you you know, the, the Browns have the talent to win games on their own, independent of those things. Uh, they shouldn't have to, you know, have the ball bounce their way for them to beat a team like the Seahawks. They should be able to do that on their own. And I, and I think that I, I would agree with you that, you know, they've looked better than they did, uh, you know, that debacle against the Rams. Uh, I mean, they look much better mm-hmm. oh, yeah. uh, from that game. And, I mean, <laughs> to be fair, there's really only where, only one way to go up from that game. Uh, so, and they, they look better, I think, and they were right in, and the Seahawks are, are playing well right now. They're playing like a playoff team. So, you know, the fact that they really should have won that game and were in it till the end, uh, you know, it's, it's a positive thing. So this is not the Browns of last year and the year before and the Hugh Jackson era, this isn't that team. They just were so much, the expectations were so high coming in that, you know, two and four is unacceptable. And I mean, I kind of like that, that we're now talking about a Browns team an organization where two and four is just, you know, the sky is falling. And so that's, you know, we should have high expectations for, uh, for this team, but as, as talented as they are, uh, I mean, John Dorsey's done a great job. Uh, not improving the offensive line in the offseason is something that is showing right now, and that's something that he's received criticism for, and I get it. Um, we're going to have to see. I mean, he's he's turning over every rock right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've heard some criticism about, you know, why is it Dorsey pulling the trigger on going to get Trent Williams from the Redskins? Well, I promise you, he's making those calls. Uh, <laughs> you know, he can't trade for a player that... Is not being dealt, so you know it's why. Dane, uh, why
0: would the Redskins not be dealing Trent Williams right now? It seems like they're getting absolutely no value from him, and you'd think they'd be open. Do, is the compensation not there? What they think they should get, or what? What's the story there? What do you think? Uh,
1: it, it's you can only chalk it up to it's the Redskins. You know, and, and common <laughs> sense does not apply when you You're talk just gonna about punt. that organization. No, seriously, I mean we're talking about a thirty-one-year-old left tackle. Who is probably if he's not dealt before the deadline, which doesn't sound like he will be, he's gonna he's not gonna be uh with the Redskins past the offseason. He will be dealt or you know, something will happen in the offseason where he won't be on the team anymore. So why would you not do that now when you have teams that are desperate? You know, you're gonna get more for Trent Williams now than you will in the offseason. So why are they are choosing to be stubborn about it, I it's just, it's not smart business. It's, it's not a, the right way to run a football team. And so, you know, it just, it doesn't make any sense. And so if there is a team offering a first round pick, which I believe they have a offer for a first round pick on the table and from us the, or the somebody kids, else, I, I, I just think that there are enough teams need, that need a left tackle that I, I, I don't know what the Browns are offering. I, I really don't, but I bet you there is at least one team willing to give up a first round pick, uh, you know, a team that believes they are in that first round mix. So they think they're giving up a, a pick in the somewhere in the 20s or, you know, the back half of round one. They will gladly give that up for, uh, you know, a, a left tackle that should still have, you know, two to four years of mm-hmm. really good football left. So, uh, you know, why the Redskins aren't doing it, I don't know. But I do think that John Dorsey is turning over every rock, trying to find every option uh, to, uh, you know, find more help on the offensive line.
0: Yeah. So, Dan, you talked a little bit about the expectations for this Browns team and someone that we've expected a lot more out of is Baker Mayfield. Um, from your uh, analyst perspective, your draft analyst, so you, you look at players with that critical lens. If you were scouting him um, for the NFL, what would you say about him this in this current season?
1: The biggest thing that you question um, is his inability to work from the pocket on a consistent basis. Um a lot of times, and this is something that showed at Oklahoma. Um, you know, he just doesn't have a great feel from within the pocket, uh, especially when that first read's taken away. I mean, he can hit the slant. He can, uh, you know, when he knows when, when things are well defined and he understands exactly what the defense is doing, what the coverages are, he can hit exactly th- that first read. Uh, you know, in his drops, and he looks good doing it. But when that first read's taken away, when he needs to scan the field and the defense is doing some different things, he has a little bit of panic to him. And it's it's a controlled panic. You know, he's not just, you know, running around, not knowing what to do. It's a controlled panic. But a lot of times his first instinct is to escape that pocket. He often drifts to the right. And uh, it's something that is – it can be beneficial at times because it allows – Uh, His receivers, it gives them, you know, extra half seconds to get open or, you know, just find a little more separation. But a lot of times when he escapes those uh, clean pockets, it's it's forcing his receivers to improvise as well. And it doesn't always work cleanly that way. Um, you know, I, it, Jarvis Landry is really—he's better at it than I think some of these other receivers in terms of improvising and working towards open space. And not every receiver is—you uh, know—necessarily has that chemistry or those things to do that. And so that's something that uh, you know you can get away with in college. You can get with away with some time to time at the NFL level. But uh, if you're flushed in the pocket, uh, even though you know you still have some time to stay in the pocket. It's not always a happy ending. So, uh, you know, with Baker, and the other thing, too, is just needs to be a little more accurate uh, in terms of leading his receivers, putting the ball on their chest. Um, and the receivers need to help him out a little more, too. If the ball's slightly behind him, Odell Beckham needs to make that catch. Uh, but, yeah. you know, it's something that be- Baker can get better at. And he knows that. Uh, you know, he's, we were so to crown him when he had that, you know, his rookie season last year. Um, so quick to crown him as always already a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And, you know, he's going to be, uh, you know, the guy for the next 15 years. And, you know, I still think that those things can be true, but he's showing that he's a sophomore quarterback in the NFL. And with that are going to come growing pains, especially with, you know, the dynamic of the offense and, you know, the first year head coach and all those things. So, you know, I think that he will get better because he is a sharp guy. He's a competitive guy. I think that he will continue to improve and get those things figured out. But, uh, you know, he's an easy target because of you know, all the <laughs> endorsements, the commercials, yeah. the, you know, people telling him staying how great he is. And so, you know, it's, he is an easy target right now, and he needs to play better. But, um, you know, I, I think he'll get there. I think he'll continue to improve week to week. And, you know, hopefully that that is true when we – talk about, uh, you know, Sunday with the Patriots.
0: Yeah. So one of the things, Dane, that I always hear from experts like yourself is that accuracy is something that can't really be taught. Um, and we're seeing it with Lamar Jackson this year, that Lamar Jackson seems to be getting more accurate and Baker is getting less accurate. Uh, is that something that just waxes and wanes from year to year? Or what? how, how can you explain that?
1: I think that Baker is an accurate quarterback. I think where it, it, it just it shows the difference between college and the NFL and college, you know, it's just, it, it's easier to make some of these throws in the NFL. The windows are so small. And so it's not just, you can't throw to an area where your, where your target is. You have to literally throw to a spot. I mean, it's literally throw to that, that pinpoint window where it could be the difference between a completion and an incompletion could be the difference between, uh, you know, a catch right there where the receiver's ability to, uh, make something happen after the catch and so the the margin of error on these throws are so much smaller and that's something that we're seeing with baker mayfield he is an accurate quarterback uh you know I, I absolutely believe that but in terms of making some of these pinpoint throws he can be better he needs to be better and i think he's a twitchy thrower he's got a quick release the ball gets out quickly for him he's got enough juice on the ball where uh, it can get there before the defensive back uh you know closes ground and disrupts the the catch point but he just needs to have that Make throws quicker and just be a little more pinpoint with his with his throws with Lamar Jackson you know he's he deserves credit no question um I I think most of his and I think the Ravens know this most of his plays come over the middle of the field uh I think he's still a little inaccurate when we talk about outside the numbers on the sidelines especially downfield throws of 15 plus yards he still needs to get better in that area um, that, that was a big issue for him in college, and I, we're still seeing some issues there at the NFL level. But where he's really, uh, I, I think, his strength throwing down the field is over the middle of the field. I, I think that's where he does his best work, and he's continued to improve in that area, which has been you know good to see just from a, a casual standpoint, uh, being an NFL fan, wanting to see these quarterbacks get better and uh, improve. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson's done that.
0: So putting on your Browns, fan cap for a second um <laughs> if you could would you trade lamar jackson for baker mayfield right now
1: i would not me personally no um i think that uh what lamar jackson's done uh has been uh, it has obviously helped the ravens be in the position that they are where they're leading the division they are the currently the favorites to win the afc north um and you know but i think with lamar jackson um I think you have to determine. Okay, what's his ceiling? Uh, what we're seeing right now is this his ceiling? Is he going to get continue to get better and better? Um, I still have some questions about uh, will he be able to hold up? Uh, you know, he does a nice job not taking some big hits. Even you know, he's a running quarterback, so he'll use that ability to his advantage and take yards when they're there. Uh, they will mix in some quarterback design th- uh, runs, but for the most part, he is very smart, and so he hasn't taken those big hits. But you know, he is not the biggest guy. Uh, and so I do still worry about him holding up durability wise. You know, one of these times he's going to take a hit and it's going to be tough for him uh, just because he opens himself up to more hits. I would still lean towards Baker Mayfield. I'm not jumping ship uh, just yet, even though I, he, he does need to play better. Um, I, I, if I had to take one of these two quarterbacks right now, I would still lean Baker. Uh, even though Lamar, Jackson... that's the right has, answer, Dane.
2: That's the he, right he's answer. He's
1: closed the gap considerably, no question.
2: That is definitely the right answer, or at least the answer that Browns fans want to hear at this point. Um, <laughs> right, right. So one, the talk this whole bye week, it seems, um, amongst Browns Twitter and Browns chatter, and with you know the different press conferences from Dorsey and such, is that there might be a shakeup on the Browns offensive line. And Mm -hmm. there are a couple young guys that we really haven't seen much of, but somebody that sits in a seat like you that's evaluated them as prospects is much more familiar with. So I want to bring up two players in particular that might play a role with the Browns here in the second half of the season on the offensive line. One being Wyatt Teller, who the Browns drafted or who the Browns traded for right at the beginning of the season with the bills. He had played left guard for the bills last year and seems to be a potential option. To unseat Eric Cush at the right guard spot, um, and then the other being uh, Drew Forbes, who was our late round uh, draft pick uh, this past year, has been on IR but can return after sitting out his eight games. So that would only be that'd be a few um, games down the line. So one of our friends, Pete Smith, that was on our podcast last week, um, seems to think that Drew Forbes is the long term right tackle answer for the Browns. Um, Would love to hear your thoughts on both Wyatt Teller and Drew Forbes.
1: I think that's a smart take um, because I'm a big Forbes fan. I gave him a fourth-round grade um, coming out of uh, Southeast Missouri State. I I really liked what he put on tape. He was their left tackle, three-year starter, nasty, nasty dude. Um, He's very controlled in his movements. Um, I have questions about whether or not he'd be able to hold up. Um, Outside of tackle I I personally think he's better at guard Um, you you see that lack of length uh, in in terms of his ability to punch and reach uh, defensive ends I think he's much better inside because he has those controlled steps Um, I think he is quick to recover and reset which obviously helps you as a guard where everything's happening much quicker. Um, you don't have a ton of time to adjust to what they're throwing at you, Mm -hmm. but I think all the physical and mental ingredients are there for Drew, Drew Forbes to be an NFL starter and be a quality NFL guard, uh, and someone that could hold up. So yeah, sign me up for Forbes. I I don't know when he's coming back, uh, but you don't
2: necessarily think he would be the best solution at tackle. If you were picking a spot for him, you'd place him at guard.
1: Me personally, I think his best. I mean, and maybe he might be able to hold up at tackle, but I think he is a better guard than he is a tackle. Um, I I don't think he's explosive laterally in his ability to you know shut down the corner. Um, uh, if I if I'm a defensive coordinator and I see Drew Forbes at tackle, I'm gonna line up my quickest, your speed fastest rusher. rusher and put him outside uh, the right tackle and just let him go. And and sooner or later, he's going to get there just because I don't think Forbes, and he doesn't have, he's, he's under 33 inch arms, uh, arm length. He's not the most explosive guy in the lateral uh, his kick slide his movements. Um, And so I, I I think he's better inside a guard where again, he has that quickness where he can reset and recover on the move. And that's something you need. So uh, Drew Forbes, you know, we'll see. I I think at, at the, at the worst, when he comes back, he's going to help strengthen your interior. Um, and then at the best, maybe he can play right tackle. Maybe, I mean, he only played tackle in college, uh, only played left tackle. Uh, so he started 35 games uh, at there, when he was uh, coming up. But again, that's also at the FCS level where, you know, he's, there's a big jump compared to FCS pass rushers compared to what he'd see in the NFL. Yeah, so, just a little bit. you know, yeah, he, he doesn't have those reps mentally, physically, where I don't, I don't think he's necessarily ready for that, but You know, we'll see. And then with uh, with Teller, uh, you know, he's a guy that only played guard uh, in college. Uh, And I don't I don't think he played a a different position besides left guard until he got to Cleveland. I think that's 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 the only place he played in college, uh, Buffalo. So, you know, it might be more of a, a muscle memory type thing, just switching over to right guard and making sure he's playing assignment sound there. Um, he's a guy, he's a taller guy, uh, for a guard. And you see that sometimes he'll let his, his base narrow and, um, that, you know, he, that'll, that'll hurt him at times when you're dealing with some of those bull rushers or, uh, nose tackles guys that, uh, can out leverage you and, uh, you know, use their upper body strength to displace you. Uh, but he moves really well. I really like his foot quickness. Um, I think he has NFL, uh, level strength. Um, I, he needs to play with a little more nasty to him. Uh, that's what I wanted to see more. When, when I watched him at Virginia tech, I, I, I thought that, you know, and I hate giving this label to offensive linemen, but he was a little, a little too finesse. And we're not talking about offensive linemen. I, I want, you know, nasty maulers guys that have that attitude that you need. And Drew Forbes has that Wyatt Teller. Uh, not so much, um, and it's something that uh, he, he needs to work on if he's going to match up against NFL level defensive linemen.
2: It's interesting because, like, all that I can do, not being like a very precise evaluator like you, or you know, really knowing the fine, finer elements of offensive line play, like I can just kind of read what other people have written on the guy. And if hmm. you like read any of those bios on Wyatt Teller, everyone def- describes him as nasty. So it's funny to hear you and that's going back like earlier in his career, like back, you know, probably to high school and then into Virginia Tech and just kind of what he was known for. But I wonder if a lot of that is just based on his frame is like he's a big old dude and kind of has like that demeanor that isn't necessarily translating into his play on the field um it's interesting for me to see because what I have heard about him is he tested super well very athletic Mm -hmm. you mentioned how great his foot speed is but some of that hasn't translated on the field and he seems like more of a mauler and less of the athletic type move guard that you want to have in the system that we seem to be running it felt to me like that's why we moved away from Zeitler and his price tag was because you didn't have as much flexibility to like pull with a Zeitler Um, as you would. And I feel like Wyatt Teller hasn't exhibited that thus far in the NFL either through his one year at Buffalo last year.
1: So anyways. He's a a strong guy. There's no question. Um, But I think a lot of that is weight room strength. I mean, he is a weight room junkie. Um, And so there's no question about his power uh, because a lot of that does translate to the field. But when I studied him, and and I honestly, I did not watch a ton of him uh, in Buffalo. I just casually saw him play. But when I studied his, his senior year at Virginia Tech, uh, I mean, he was he, there were too many times where he got complacent. There were too many times where uh, he just he wanted to see more urgency uh, in his play because, you know, he can do it. You just didn't see it necessarily from time to time. And something that and I, I can't this is just something I heard, you know, talking about Wyatt Teller, um, you know, talking with scouts, talking with different people. And I, I can't you know, confirm this. I'm not a doctor, but he has battled ADHD since childhood and mm-hmm. he, he's been open about it. Um, and he, it, it does lead to, cause you know, medication, all that does lead to focus and energy lapses. And maybe that is something that played a part in why he, you know, I gave him that finesse label where he didn't always play, uh, at the level that you expected for a guy with uh, his ability with his just raw strength and so that is a possible culprit to maybe taken away from why we haven't seen you know this mauler that maybe we've seen flashes of but not on a consistent basis
2: okay all right well th- those are the topics we wanted to hit regarding the browns let's go to your area of expertise and uh Talk about the 2020 draft. I don't know if I've fully put my hat on for the 2020 draft yet, so I think this is like the, our first foray into that. I did, I did read your uh, quarterback article that you put up on the Athletic Army. Mm-hmm. That was fantastic. Well done there. Thank um, you. Give us a sense of what we're looking at. What does this draft class look like? What are you seeing as it's taken shape? How does it compare to the last few years? And maybe what are some of the, um, the positions that are particularly rich in this, in this year's draft class?
1: Well, you know, first of all, uh, you know, I need to put a disclaimer that so much depends on the underclassmen, um, you know, which underclassmen come out, which which go back to school that will greatly impact, um, you know, the first round and the rest of the draft, because a lot of all these talented guys we're going to talk about are juniors with eligibility remaining. But assuming a lot of the big guys come out, yeah. wide receiver, offensive tackle are going to be the two positions that we point to and say, OK, that's the strength of uh, the early rounds of the draft. Um, offensive tackle. And this is, you know, music to, uh, Browns the ears fans. Of Browns ears. fans. Exactly. Uh, you know, we're, we could have four offensive tackles taken top 15, top 20. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of options there. Um, and then it thins out a little bit after that, but there's still some quality offensive tackles in that late first, early second, top 50 type of offensive tackle. So, uh, it is a position that I, I think if the Browns go into the off season, Needing a left tackle um, and needing to upgrade uh, on the edge, then they they will have options there. Uh, the, the top guy Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, Andrew Thomas from Georgia. Those are the top two guys. Uh, Werf's plays right tackle for the Hawkeyes. He can also play left tackle, no problem. Andrew Thomas, a left tackle for for Georgia. Uh, both these guys are just they're physical freaks. They move really well. Uh, Werf's I give Werf's the edge slightly right now just because of his ability to. Uh, reset on the move. Uh, he just he makes it look so easy. Um, I, I made the comparison that it looked like since Trent Williams is not playing for the Redskins this year that he put on an Iowa helmet and was playing right tackle for the Hawkeyes because that's kind of what it looks like with Tristan Wirfs. But I think both these guys are top ten picks. So, you know, hopefully, you know, if you're a Browns fan, hopefully we're not talking about a top ten pick unless they trade up. Um, and then once you get past those two guys, the next two guys for me, Alex Leatherwood from Alabama, their left tackle, uh, taking over Jonah Williams this year. He also played played guard last year, um, and then Austin Jackson, left tackle for USC. I think those four uh, tackles are kind of the cream of the crop when we talk about uh, possible top fifteen, top twenty options in next year's draft. And then wide receiver, it's just a loaded group. Unbelievable. Uh, during, yeah, Judy and Henry Ruggs from Alabama, uh, C.D. Lamb at Oklahoma, Shavis- uh, LaVisca Chanel to Colorado. Uh, T. Higgins at Clemson, uh, the TCU receiver, Jalen Rager, uh, and that's just, uh, what, six guys? I mean, there's, it could go Those are all Those on are on.
2: all, they could easily all have first-round grades, right? Yeah, e- easily. I mean, they could easily, you, you list
1: out the top 32 players in this draft, it'd be hard to leave one of those guys off that list. So, you know, you're talking about a wide receiver, rich draft, and, and like I said, that's just the top six guys. I mean, we could be talking about, uh the Surratt kid from Wake Forest. He's a big, you know, uh mm. possession guy, but also has athleticism. Um, Alabama's got another guy, Devontae Smith, who was going to be probably in that day two mix. Uh, Didn't Talon he have like Wallace.
2: five touchdowns a couple weeks ago? Yeah, that's
1: just it. It was five. You know,
2: <laughs> not, not bad.
1: Uh it, It's just, yeah, it's pretty amazing when you've got that embarrassment of riches. And, and by the way, that's, we're going to hear people rip on Tua because they're going to say, oh, well, he had all that talent at Alabama. Of course he should have done well. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, it's just it's it, it's only smart that he's going to be a quarterback that puts the ball into the hands of his playmakers and let them work. And so, uh, the bigger the worry with Tua will be the durability. I think the Browns have their quarterback, so we can hold off on the quarterback talk uh, for the draft for now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, wide, wide receivers just it's it's loaded, and, and I mentioned all those guys, and all of them are underclassmen. Not one of them is a senior. And so, when you right. look at the senior group. Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State is a playmaker. Uh, John Hightower from Boise State. Brian Edwards, South Carolina. Those are my top three wide receivers from the senior class. So offensive tackle, wide receiver, uh, to me, at this point in the process, looked like the strongest two positions.
2: That's music to our ears for sure on the offensive tackle side of things. It seems like there's a lot of names in some of the early mocks that I have uh, browsed through in, mm-hmm. uh, over time, but it's good to hear you say that as the season's gone on, that that, uh, that those names are holding up. After that first tier, though, of offensive tackles, does it look like it's a particularly deep group, or is it going to be just kind of top-heavy with, like, some pretty good top-tier talent?
1: I it's definitely top heavy when you talk about the amount of talent we have at the top, but I, you know, I think, and we'll see which underclassmen come out because again, there's uh, Alabama's right tackle, uh, Wills. He'll be in that uh, probably in that second tier or uh, uh, Becton at uh, at Louisville, another junior. So we'll have to see which underclassmen come out. But when you talk about the seniors, there's two that really stand out at the top: uh, Lucas Niang, uh, the TCU right tackle, who's a little banged up right now. It uh, would be a good matchup to, to watch him against Texas on Saturday. And then Trey Adams from Washington, he was uh, – his junior year, he had higher grades from scouts than Mike McGlinchey, who ended up going top 10. But Adams had a torn ACL. Then he missed last year with a back injury. So this is a medical pick. If Adams is playing at a high level right now. Um, but it, it's really going to be up to the doctors and the trainers and the medical staff at the combine to either you know thumbs up, thumbs down. On it. can he hold up? Is there any lingering issues? Anything long term you need to worry about? As long as Trey Adams is healthy, I think he'll be somewhere in that top forty mix. Um, and so, you know, I think that there there is a little bit of a drop off when you talk about these offensive tackles, but not a huge drop off where it's just completely off a cliff. And you know, there's not any more uh, starting options uh, that, that you can still find guys in the second round this year because it is again one of the stronger positions in the draft.
0: Okay. Um, That's great news. Uh, Looking at uh, safety for the Browns, what does the depth look like in this upcoming draft at safety? Because we're – touting out Randall and Whitehead right now, and PFF has them graded um, awful throughout the entire <laughs> season. Um, we were really hoping Randall would be better than he has been, but Whitehead's been even worse than we thought. Um, so what does it look like for um, mid- to late-round safeties, maybe second, third round? What what safeties are there for the Browns? Yeah, I
2: mean, we do have two third-round picks, yeah. assuming Duke Johnson's active for, the, for three more games throughout the season. So that seems like a window where we might be able to shore up the secondary.
1: Mm, yeah, and – uh, Safety is, it, it, it is, I think, one of the weaker positions in this draft. Um, warp, warp. I think that, yeah, and I, you do have a guy at the top with LSU's Grant Delpit, who is a talented guy, but I think he has you know his warts as well. Um, I don't necessarily see him as the, the locked top 10 player that he's, you know, a lot of people think he is. He's a good player, but I still have some question marks there. After him, I, I think Xavier McKinney from Alabama might be the next guy. Um, 6'1", 205, 208 pounds. Moves really well. He's a violent hitter. He can do some things in coverage as well. So Xavier McKinney uh, would be a guy to watch. I don't know if he gets to, you know, the second round, the mid-second round. But, um, you know, he would be someone on the short list. Um, When you talk about the seniors, um, I I think the top senior is Ashton Davis from Cal, who is a speedster. He's a former track guy. So he's going to test really well, probably run in the mid four five or mid four fours. Um, and he's really aggressive. Uh, he, he loves to hit, loves to fly all over, has a little bit of playmaking to him. So he's going to be in that second round mix as well. Um, we're talking second, third round Brandon Jones from Texas. He's trying to get in that third round mix, uh, be a top 100 guy. Um, there's some, uh, smaller school guys, uh, safety from, uh, Lenore Ryan division two school down, uh, uh, he's a Georgia native, Kyle Duggar who, uh, can, he can play. He's a, 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 a size speed Marvel for the division two level He's 6'1, 220 he's going to run in the four fours. So that's definitely a name to uh, put away as a, as a potential sleeper, uh, not sleeper. Cause I, I think he's going to end up going maybe third round or so. Uh, he's that type of talent. Mm-hmm. Um, J.R. Reed from Georgia, six, one, 200 pounds. Um, he, you guys remember Jake Reed for the Vikings in the you know late nineties. And they had the you know, Chris Carter and Randy Moss, but Jake Reed was that third receiver who was really good with the, uh-huh. uh, the Randall Cunningham teams. This is his son, J.R. Reed. And so he's a, he's a talented kid who came back for a senior year. Um, he, he's had a pretty good year. Um, I, I think the size is going to hurt him a little bit. and you know, He's right around 200 pounds, and he's probably more of a 4'6 athlete. Um, so that, that's going to hurt him a little bit. He's not the biggest. He's not the fastest. But he, he's a quality player. And so he'll be – we're talking second, third, fourth round. Uh, probably more a third, fourth round. He should be in that mix.
2: Nice. So I recall calling you during the bye week last year, which was a little later. I think it was in November around Thanksgiving. And it on this phone call was the time that you made me aware of Rock Yassin <laughs> as a deep as a deep dive prospect to look out for in the upcoming draft. And lo and behold, do you think he was taken in what, the second round by the Colts? Yeah. Um so, what are some of those other like lesser-known players that are catching your eye that um, is going to be much more a part of the vernacular for us uh, NFL draft fans come April?
1: Well, I mean, we'll keep it um, to maybe you know a, a Browns, uh, you know what they might be interested in if they don't get that tackle that they that they want in the first round, uh, yeah. or maybe they do and they still want to get a more tackle help because let's be honest, there's no such thing as having too much depth on the offensive tackle depth chart. Uh, there are two guys in this draft who um, really intrigue me as future NFL starters who might not be ready from day one, but guys that are going to be somewhere. You know, Once you get past that first tier, the second tier, they're going to be guys that you're going to target as developmental tackles who have NFL starting ability somewhere probably in rounds three or four. Uh, Josh Jones from Houston, who's 6'5, 310, moves pretty well. Um, you know, an athletic guy, he's a guy, he's had like five different offensive line coaches at, at Houston. So that's really stunted his development, hmm. but he's playing really well as a senior. And then Matt Pert from, uh, uh, Connecticut, uh, from UConn, there are not many reasons to watch UConn football right now, but if you do, if you stumble uh, upon a Connecticut football game, check out the right tackle number 65. Uh, Jamaican native. They he moved to the Bronx when he was little, so he grew up, you know, playing basketball, uh, you know. And then he didn't play offensive tackle until his senior year in high school. Um, and then he goes to UConn, and he's he's been a four-year starter for them, left tackle and right tackle. Uh, needs a little bit of strength work, needs a little bit of uh, technique work. But again, you see starter traits there. So both Jones and Pert are guys that are going to be probably third or fourth round when it's all said and done who have NFL starting ability down the road, if you can develop them a little bit. So those are two, two names that could be on the Browns' radar, regardless that they get their tackle in the first round uh, or the second round. Two guys that could help improve the, the depth chart. So in case that your starter goes down, you have a, a plan B at one of those important
2: positions. Which Ooh. they need, but it's not just the Browns. Like Those are going to be that's mm-hmm. necessary across the league. It seems like 90% of the teams are searching for answers at offensive line.
1: That's it. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of tackles are probably going to be overdrafted because so many teams need offensive line help. Uh, Yeah. There's, there is not a single uh, team, all all 32 teams that they they need somewhere. They need help on that offensive line uh, whether it's a starter or just pure depth. So guys like that, when, if you flash NFL level traits, uh, it might take a little bit of coaching to get it out of you to get, you you know, to, to bridge that gap. But if you have those traits, you're going to go high, and that's why Josh Jones and Matt Pert. heck, they, maybe they sneak into round two when it's all said and done just because the the demand far outweighs the supply.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, um, before we let you go, Dane, I want to ask you one more question. Uh, this week we've got a foreboding opponent. Our Brownies are going to be playing the New England Patriots. Um, what do you think we can expect to see from that game? Do we have a chance? Is there any chance? Uh, Is there hopeless? Well,
1: because because I know who li- who listens to your your <laughs> podcast, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I hope it's 35 33. The Browns win a close one <laughs> Let's and go. I, 35 I that, points
2: on that New England defense. Yes,
1: 35. Well, I say that because I'm in a in a pool a 33 pool where uh, you know it's one of those things where if a team scores 33 points, it pays out. And in seven weeks, the Patriots have scored 33 points three times already. And I have the Patriots, so you have the same team the whole year. I, and so I've, I've the Patriots have got have been a nice little uh, uh, cash cow for me this year because they've scored 33 <laughs> points, which it, it only against
2: happens against horrible like, teams.
1: Yes, this is true. Uh, but they only, it only happens like five times a year it, throughout the entire league that uh, a team will score 33 points. And so the Patriots have already done it three times. So, and like the said, offense
0: is the weakness of that team.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's some weakness. I, I will be interested to see how they uh, how they incorporate Sanu uh, into that offense, mm-hmm. and you know how much of Josh Gordon would we see um, if he's even you know, going to be healthy I, enough to play. That that's it. How much are we going to see of him if at all? Um, you know, it seems like that's Sanu – Giving up a second round pick for Sanu. It, the first thought that went through my mind was okay well something's going on with josh gordon because i mean first of all you always have to keep that uh, you know in mind because of you know his volatile history but the fact that he hasn't been healthy um you just you're not sure how the patriots how much confidence they have that how, how much of an impact he's gonna have um and so that's you know as long as you have tom brady uh, you know i think the patriots are gonna be just fine on offense um you know bill belichick He's looking for his 300th win, uh, which is, you know, kind of.
2: Sure, he would uh, love to have against the Browns, too. That,
1: that's exactly it. And so it's, uh, you, you know, it, I, the, obviously there's an advantage where the Patriots had to play on Monday night, where the Browns had a bye week. So, you know, there's, you know, maybe some hope in, in, in that direction. But, you know, you never know. I don't know. One uh, of the last times the Browns p- played the Patriots was, what was that, like 2000? that that amazing game that josh gordon had um 2013 2014 when when was that i but i I mean you never know games like that are, especially with this talented browns team they're always capable of uh you know surprising with games like that so who knows maybe we'll see that uh this sunday all
2: right we're hoping for it my personal take is if we can keep the turnovers in check that's how the patriots have been blowing people out is that they've caused so many turnovers it's how we've been losing games it's how we've been losing games and so as long as we – if we can keep that in check, I definitely think we're going to be in the game. Um, it's just a matter of um, who can close down the stretch, in my opinion. So we'll see.
0: All right, Jane. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Um, we love reading all your stuff with The Athletic. Tell the people um, where they can find more of your stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, best way is at the Athletic. That's where all of my information appears. Um, you know, draft rankings, draft interviews, um, just pieces, uh, you know, articles on all these players and guys you need to know. Um, you know, you mentioned the quarterback uh, article that I had this week, uh, where I broke down the top nine quarterbacks in this draft into four different tiers, um, and just you know talked about where they're stacking up. So uh, hopefully everyone checks it out. Uh, and I, you know, at the Athletic's you know pay to read. Website, But, you know, if you're skeptical, just do a free trial and check it out. I think you'll love what we have to offer there. And then, of course, on, on Twitter at DP Brugler, uh, find all, all my information there as well. So I uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on. It's, it's always fun when we're able to do it. And uh, I'm sure, you know, we will connect again maybe before the draft.
2: Yes, sir. We definitely will. And for all the listeners out there, like, Dane convinced us to jump on The Athletic whenever he moved his content over there. And we have been very, very happy with everything we've seen there, not just from him on the draft, but also from the day-in, day-out Browns coverage. They're only adding more heads to cover the Browns, and I would say it is the best coverage of the Browns from a writing perspective out there (laughs) at all. I mean, from an audio perspective, you're clearly in the right place. But from a writing (laughs) perspective, um, it's as good as it gets, no doubt. So thanks again, Dane.
1: Well, anytime. I appreciate it saying that.
2: Let's go ahead and move on. But before we do, I want to let you know about a great fantasy football podcast, the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. If you're a football fan, you're probably playing fantasy football, so check out this great podcast. NFL Network researcher Matt Okada and sports physical therapist Matthew Betts work together to bring you hard-hitting, accurate, and entertaining fantasy football content. From Okada's insider info to Betts' injury analysis – These guys are here to help you win your league. They talk fantasy football year-round, covering redraft and dynasty, scouting rookies, answering keeper questions, projecting the season, decoding the waiver wire, and much more. Find them wherever you get your podcasts and online at redshirtsfantasyfootball.com.
0: All right. I love it. Always fun to talk to Dane. Talk to someone that knows a little bit more about this than we do, or a lot more. Um, So, let's talk about this upcoming week. Let's talk about some Browns news. Uh, We haven't gotten to hit on the Austin Corbett trade, so early last week. Uh, John Dorsey decided to pull the trigger and trade Austin Corbett to the Los Angeles Rams. We, in return, got a 2021 fifth-round pick. So, that says a lot about what we thought about our recent draft pick, Austin Corbett. Decided to cut ties wasn't going to work out in Cleveland, but we got something in return for him. If we knew he was never going to play, uh, we severed ties early and we got some compensation.
2: Like if you look at it objectively, yes, that is true. But if you look at it like as most Browns fans probably are, this sucks. I mean, it was the 33 overall pick. This was essentially a first round pick, as you just mentioned before we came on the air. I mean, And there are many, many quality players that came off the board after him, not to mention quality players at the same position. Like Will Hernandez was drafted a handful of picks behind him. Harold Landry is who I wanted the Browns to pick with this particular pick, has proven to be a very, very good pass rusher for the Titans. There are many other examples of players that would have been very helpful for the Browns in this particular pick. And the thing that I held out hope on with Austin Corbett was that he seemed like a solid dude. That was like trying hard and that ultimately like it was going to click and it was going to work out. He was highly thought of some people like Pete wasn't very high on him as a prospect, but there's lots of people that had him valued at this spot of the draft. There were very few people across the board draft pundit wise that laughed at this pick whenever it was made. It was a little bit of a surprise based on the fact that he was projected as an interior offensive lineman. We were trying to fill our left tackle spot at the particular point in time, but it has not worked out at all. And I can't imagine it going much worse. I mean, we basically made a blockbuster trade to get rid of Kevin Zeitler this offseason because we were assuming that Austin Corbett could step in and fill that spot. He was given every opportunity and fell flat on his face.
0: I think that's the thing that's most disappointing. You make a trade like that, you give away one of the best players on your team and one of the best players on your offensive line, and we're seeing the ramifications of it right now, that we didn't have a contingency plan after we traded Kevin Zeitler. Like You would think we only made that trade because we were certain that we had the right guy to step in and play. We signed all these guards, and none of them are working out. That, that's the thing that's most frustrating. I think if you look back at what could have been that's just a recipe for pain. I oh, mean, you, yeah, I, like I'm never I'm, yeah. I'm never going to engage could in could have that. had him. <laughs> always could as have our him.
2: surviving the season friends would definitely say. <laughs> um, so another thing too, I just think overall, as it, from a philosophy of acquiring offensive line talent, I wonder if Dorsey and company are learning their lesson or not. Talking to Dane made me think this even more because when we took Corbett. What, you're, what you heard them say in the post-draft press conference was, we took the best player available. We like this player. We'll plug him in where he's best suited. Well, guess what? He wasn't suited anywhere, right? So you took the guy that you thought was the best athlete, the best player that ultimately is going to like be the best for your team, regardless of which position he plays, and you couldn't find a spot for him. Like, I wonder if that is really a good approach or not, but I've seen them do the same thing with these other players that we've acquired, like Wyatt Teller. What position is he playing? He's a left guard. He's played left guard in college and in the pros and been pretty solid at it. Joel Batonio is our left guard, and I don't think he's going to go anywhere unless the plan is to move Joel Batonio to left tackle in the offseason and let Wyatt Teller go in the left guard I think the Browns are still taking the same approach of picking a guy that you think's a good player and just figuring out the rest later. And I'm not so sure at the NFL level that that is a good approach to building a good offensive line.
0: Well, that's what Campy has always done in in Green Bay. He's always taking tackles and trying them out but this is a guard but this is, is a like college
2: tackles that have a skill set for playing a different position like a guard like Joel Batonio was a college left tackle yep. who had the skill set to play left guard and has been inserted into that position what we've seen from all way going back to Cam Irving which is before Dorsey's time but was drafting a flexible offensive lineman but when you get somebody that's a jack of all trades they're typically a master of none and not able to do it on a week in week out basis as a starter in the nfl and i think it's what we saw from corbett it's what we've seen from cam irving going back further i'm worried it's the same thing that we're gonna see from a wyatt teller from a and i'm worried about um what's his face drew forbes Mm -hmm. getting bounced around too much and not getting to like truly succeed at the highest level
0: yeah well I think it makes sense for depth on your team on the offensive line because you never know what's going to happen throughout a season. You never know where the injuries are going to be. So if you have someone that you can plug and play at multiple different positions, it creates a lot of value for your team. However, we have a lot of these guys that are plugging and playing, and they're in our starting rotation, and we don't have solid starters at each position. And so I I see your point. What I think it illuminates more is that John Dorsey is – He's really, really great at evaluating talent. He's great at evaluating wide receivers, specialists, all these things. Uh, Denzel is fantastic. Greedy's looked good so far. These specialist healthy. players, when they're healthy. But I'm worried that John Dorsey's kryptonite might be drafting offensive linemen because I haven't... I I just don't know. We've seen him do everything else, and there's things that GMs are bad at, and he's obviously going to have to rely on um, everyone else in the, in the room to help him with that. But if we can... Con- Continually cannot get offensive line help through the draft. We will not be a good team.
2: This is just thinking off the top of my head, but looking back at his um, drafts at Kansas City, the only top pick I think he ever spent on an offensive lineman was when he took Eric Fisher number one overall. And Eric Fisher's not been a flop, but certainly not a number one overall talent. I don't think he really. It's probably not. It's probably a neutral grade on that particular on that particular pick, but. I don't think there's any one, aside from probably signing Mitchell Schwartz away from us and the great value he got on that deal, that's probably the biggest win he's had f- from an offensive line standpoint
0: as oh, a GM. How good would it be to have Mitchell Schwartz back?
2: First, less than $7 million a year. Oh,
0: my gosh. That would be fantastic. Um, but uh, all things considered, I'm glad to see, like I said at the beginning, John Dorsey, count his losses, know that Corbett's not the guy, kind cut him away. It's devastating. It's sad to know that he's not the right back guy. But we see what they think of him, and they don't think highly of him. And you got to move on sooner rather than later because we would get nothing for him to like a year down the line.
2: Way better than st- sticking your heels in and insisting that you try to make it work with this guy. I think that uh, you definitely like to see that from Dorsey when you, he. It's barely over a year since he drafted him, and he was willing to move on. It's a good sign for building a team in the longevity of the team. I think when you when you know you got to move on because otherwise it's just like it's just a ball and chain that you're dragging with you.
0: Yeah, which colors the narrative that we've been talking about about Chad Thomas that that's what John Dorsey is doing with Chad Thomas that he's not a good player, but they clearly must see something in him that it's not just the fact that Dorsey drafted him that we're yep. keeping him around. Um, so let's talk about a couple other things. Um, we hit that Corbett trade. Let's talk about the Patriots. We have. The challenge of all challengers, the main boss, is coming up next week, and we have not looked good throughout the first six games, and we have to face Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and this ridiculous best defense in the NFL, the New England Patriots. We Uh, just
2: haven't been fine-tuned like a team like the Patriots are every single week. And I said it when Dane was on the podcast, um, but I really think the difference in this game, as it is for most games, but I see it more as I look at the run-up to both of these teams, is the turnover battle. Mm -hmm. The Browns have been on the wrong side of that in the games that have been close and have mattered, and that's why we haven't been able to pull out some of these Ws. Um, And a lot of it's self-inflicted. Some of it's bad breaks, but a lot of it's self-inflicted. And the Patriots are continually forcing turnovers. They're leading the NFL. I think they have, like, 15 interceptions already on the season, and it might be 16. Uh, It's an insane number of interceptions. And... Baker's been giving it up as much as anybody has. So can we curb that? And if we don't, we're going to get blown out of the water.
0: Oh, it could, it could be really bad if we start turning the ball over early. One of the things that I think is going to be the most important matchup in this game is going to be Kyle Van Noy, who has been fantastic throughout this entire year, going up against Chris Hubbard on the right side. Like, I don't like that matchup. And Baker's, our entire team has proven over and over and over again that we do not fare well against the team that has a really, really good dominant pass rush. And Kyle Van Noy has been dominant. Um, Forcing fumbles, getting interceptions. He's got like two touchdowns on the year, I'm pretty sure. Um, so how Chris Hubbard can hold up against him, um, I think is going to be indicative of how good of a game Baker has um, and how our offense can churn as a whole. But if our offense moves the way that we moved against Seattle, I mean, besides the turnovers, you take the turnovers away, we our offense looked really good against Seattle.
2: Yeah, I'm not so worried about us being able to put some points on the board. I think that their defense is very, very good. Bill Belichick's going to have a good scheme. He always does, and it's not the same week in and week out. So, like, I don't think they're going to be easy to come by. I think the Browns are going to be able to put up points. This game is going to be one – it's just – the turnovers are going to matter, and the defense is going to need to make some plays. Like, our defense is going to need to make some plays because New England's offense – has not been that great. Their offensive line is suspect. It's another team that we're playing that doesn't have the most solid offensive line. You saw their game plan this earlier this week was getting the ball out of Tom Brady's hand extremely quickly. Mm-hmm. And I would expect that's going to continue because they know that they can't protect him for a long period of time. And he's probably fairly brittle at 42 years old. Like, they do not want him taking significant shots. And well the the browns hopefully can exploit that a little bit cost some turnovers of our own for goodness sakes if we get denzel and greedy back like this defense should be running at just about full speed i mean we won't we don't have christian kirksey but other than that like we've got all our guys i guess randall might be out Mm -hmm. but i'm okay for subbing justin burris for, (laughs) for randall maybe a little eric murray back there i i don't think we're losing too much based on what we've seen from randall thus far
0: no, it, it's been. Uh, but even the Jets uh, on Monday Night Football. I mean, there was a they forced a ton of turnovers on Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold was terrified. But they moved the ball down. Terrified, the Terrified,
2: terrible, miserable.
0: Yeah, he was. They they got into uh, the backfield, and you heard the comment that Sam Darnold said he was seeing ghosts. But they got the Jets got into the red zone multiple times. Sam Darnold just happened to throw interceptions in the red zone. So um, the Jets were moving the ball. They could have they scored no points, but they could have scored a fair amount. So. It's up in the air. So you're saying there's a chance, Michael?
2: I, I really do think there's a chance. We've talked about it all year. It's kind of been Matthew's stick, is that. Sample the, size. The Browns, Mel well, Matthews, <laughs> that is his, historically his <laughs> deal. But all season, we the Browns match up fairly well against teams that don't have like a dominant front four.
0: Yeah.
2: We got crushed by the 49ers because we just lost over and over again when they only sent four rushers. But. New England schemes their, their pass rush. They're, they don't just send four and win over and over again. And so I think that we are set up to fare reasonably well when our offense is on the field. And I'm not that worried about that. Just because of our skill, position, talent, um, I think we're okay. And it's just going to come down to like those turnovers and things. We are playing in New England. That doesn't help us. But, hey, our two wins are both on the road this year. so it's Seemingly I, better. We need it real bad. The The Patriots have games every single year where it's like, oh, how'd that happen? Yep. Why can't it be the Browns this week? I, I don't
0: see why it
2: wouldn't be. We're as talented as anybody else out there.
0: How does the narrative of this Browns team change if we beat the Patriots? Oh, all of a sudden. All all of a...
2: Oh, the NFL is driving me crazy this year in particular with how much recency bias everyone has when talking about anyone last week sam darnold was the best quarterback from a 2018 draft class and it seemed like he couldn't change anybody's mind and this week he isn't worthy of being an nfl quarterback like it like the narrative could not have changed any more drastically on sam darnold in particular in one game over the course of one week
0: against the patriots
2: it's unbelievable
0: it absolutely is unbelievable. Um, all right, so one of the things that we do on this podcast week after week is me and my brothers, we compete against each other to pick the lines of the primetime games. We pick the Thursday night game, we pick the Sunday night game, and we pick the Browns game. So last week I was not here. Michael and Matthew uh, generously flipped a coin for me for my picks, and this week, as you can hear, Matthew is not here. Um, he's probably he's golfing or something. Um so we are going to pick the lines, and uh, well, Michael, do you have the record standing right now?
2: Uh, I don't have it in front of me. Matthew's still winning. Um, I'm just below 500, which I'm kind of happy that I crawled back to, and you're not doing that great, but I won't throw out the specific numbers at this point
0: in time. Well, I think I'm doing all right. All right, so what are the games for this week, Michael?
2: Um, so the first game, Thursday night, Washington is heading to Minnesota. We kind of had a bad primetime slate this week. That I mean, is bad. I mean, the Patriots just absolutely waxed the floor with the Jets, and then we have to watch Washington flounder in Very Minnesota. next game. Yeah. It's a 16-point line. <laughs> I don't have to tell you in whose favor. Um, Man, so, brutal. anyways, I will go ahead and let... Matthew's not here, so we're flipping the coin. Let's go ahead and take his pick first. If it's heads, it's the home team. Heads, it's the home team. Tails. The it's away going to Washington. team. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it's a 16-point it line, is, so it's it is, probably not crazy. Sense. All right, Mark, what's your pick on this
0: one? Um, man, Washington just looked real good last week when they beat the Dolphins. I uh, no, I'm I'm gonna go Minnesota. I wish I had taken New England last week, but the coin agreed. Whenever you have a pretty good team against a just terrible team, I, I, whatever the points are, I don't care. I'm going with Minnesota. Yeah, They're I'm gonna taking, win by 17 points.
2: I'm taking Minnesota too. Washington can't really put anything together right now unfortunately i feel bad there's i know a few dedicated redskins
0: fans and it's just brutal my boss charles johnson loves him some redskins mm. hates him some dan snyder yeah as, <laughs> they all as do they should
2: which brings us to the sunday night game green bay is favored by four and a half points now heading to kansas city this game opened as a four point uh game in kansas city's favor and has swung eight and a half points now Green Bay is favored by four and a half, almost entirely because Patrick Mahomes is hurt and will not be playing. So Matt Moore is going to be the quarterback for the Chiefs, which definitely changes the dynamic. Green Bay's defense has been solid. I mean, there's some dynamics at play it's here.
0: It's at Kansas City, you said? It's at
2: Kansas City. Green Bay All favored right. by four and a half. What does so Matthew want? Matthew coin
0: Heads. He's got Kansas City. Kansas City. Patrick mahomes Kansas City. Um, I am going to go the opposite direction than Matthew. I am going to choose Green Bay um, by more than five points. I agree with what you just said. Green Bay's defense has looked fantastic. Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur seem to be working out. They seem to be clicking. Every more. week it seems like they get a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, and uh, maybe it's because Matt LaFleur every week is just deferring more to Aaron Rodgers and letting him do it by himself. Um, but yeah, I like Green Bay. I've been really surprised by this team this year, and I think they're looking really, really good. I've only lost one game. Um, I think they're going to uh, Patrick Mahomes. Loses Kansas City is a completely different team.
2: Four and a half points against Kansas City. That offensive line at Kansas City has not been great, and Matt Moore eh, didn't look awesome in mop-up duty with once Mahomes went out um, the other day. I feel better about betting on Aaron Rodgers than betting on Matt Moore, and that's why I'm going to go with Green Bay. There it is. So, which brings us to the Browns game. We've talked about it. We just kind of dissected it. I spoke about the optimism that I have for the Browns having a chance. The Patriots are favored by 13 points. 13 points. So, if I think the Browns have a chance to win, I'm definitely going to take those points and go with the Cleveland Browns.
0: What's Matthew think? Matthew. Heads. Going with the the home team team
2: again. Going with the Pats. Um, This is my chance to catch up on Matthew. I picked all the opposites of him.
0: I think that I hate to do it. I hate to do it. But you look at quarterback, you look at head coach, and you decide who the two of those you think is better. That's your strategy, Michael. And I, I cannot... That's, that's my deciding.
2: It's my deciding factor when I think it's close.
0: I I have to go with the Patriots. I think the Patriots beat us by more. I hope to God that you I you think am...
2: they beat us by fourteen points.
0: Yes, I do. I do. They've been turning the ball over so much. We've been turning the ball over so much. I think Kyle Van Noy is going to have a heyday. I think that our offensive line is going to look lost and confused. Baker's going to be scrambling outside of the pocket. Odell hasn't been catching the ball. Like something is just have to has to change i love and how emotionally driven we are
2: from what I, I like happened to wake up on the right side of the bed today whereas like two weeks ago after the <laughs> 49ers game I, you were like worried about me like taking action against myself probably
0: you had a blank stare the entire podcast you didn't say a word i don't know what was going it was
2: pure depression
0: <laughs> i don't know what was going entirely on entirely driven by the browns We are a little bit too invested in this team, but I'm sure that you guys are too. Uh, Thanks so much for listening, everybody. That is going to wrap it up. We will see you after. Hopefully we beat the Patriots this week. Um, What an exciting day that will be. Um, If you don't follow us on Twitter, please do at Sin of Our Fathers. Tell a friend about the podcast if you like it. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Sin of Our Fathers as well. Send us an email, Fathers at gmail.com. And if you really want to help us out, you could uh, leave a comment on our podcast page on iTunes, rate it five stars. That really goes the longest way uh, to get other people um, to hear our podcast. So we appreciate you guys, and we will see you next Monday. Go Browns. Go Browns, baby.